Some members in the party didn't think I should have been selected. So it was a bit of proving myself. Um, and I think I proved myself from the very day that they enabled me to stand in that position. Um, so during the campaigning phase, even when I would knock on members' doors or people's doors, straight away, laugh in my face, you. I had racism from the very get-go. And I had a woman, her name was Rosina Pennell, and she told me actually you would face racism, ageism and sexism. And I did throughout the whole time. Um, but it didn't deter me because I was really excited. I completely can resonate no, thank with you. everything you just said. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you can. <laughs> God, when I was looking at your background, it's very interesting. And you yeah. grew up in, from, wait, where did you grow up again? In Note Hill, so it's in Havering, near Harold okay. Hill, Romford, yeah. just on the border of the M25. We get to Brentwood. Right. I don't know why I've never heard Note Kill because I went to college around there. I went yeah, to we were talking about it yeah. earlier. Yeah, because yeah. I went. Um, I know, like all Howard Wood, Howard Hill, Gidea yeah. Park. Because I had to go through yeah. those stations and stuff. Yeah. Um, Note Kill, I don't know. But then I know in Havering because you started up the the oh, what was it called Havering Racism Havering? Or? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so that's yeah. why I was like, okay, I'm I'm sure you probably can in some way relate. And it's quite interesting as well because of your background in campaigning and the politics and that kind of thing. Yeah, when um i was reading about you mm. and i was thinking I, I, I was thinking what what was it like because you're so young as well yeah. you're still young now but how old you were 22 when you got elected I was 22, right? yeah. so you were so young probably yeah. i don't know if you started when you were like 21 or something but yeah. doing all that and knocking on people's doors and people probably looking at you and being like what yes there was a lot of <laughs> there was a lot of racism um from the very beginning of my political kind of journey um and it wasn't hidden I grew up in Havering, so I've always lived there. I was born in Haraldwood Hospital. Um, so I always remember having difficulties with regards to my race because I was always either one or two of, you know, black heritage within the classrooms. That would be primary school, secondary school, until I got to college. Um, so when I now was going into politics, the reason I got into politics was because I did this programme. It's called Uprising Leadership Programme. And then it motivated me to join the Labour Party. That was 2016. I joined excited. You know, you see on social media, right? Like it's very diverse, the Labour Party. Then I go to my first meeting and everybody there was over 50, predominantly white. I was the only black woman, wow. youngest as well. Then another young guy joined. His name was Adam and both of us did youth officer. So it was a really exciting time because the community there in even though they were relatively older than me, they were so excited to see young people getting involved in our local constituency party. That's what it is. It's called CLP. Um, so yeah, I just was door knocking, was doing youth officer. I had a background in public relations. So I was doing press releases, articles for the local Labour Party, drafting their leaflets, using my skills. And then people said to me, you know what, you might be good at, you know, running to be a candidate for the local elections. So I was just like, okay, I'll give it a go. Did the application, got through, but there was a clause. You had to be a member for a year. I hadn't been a member for a year at that point, um, but people just said, go ahead, you know, we'll, we'll get to that at that point. Um, then I knew a mayor in Bark and Dagenham at the time. So she mentored me, prepared me for the interview. I did the interview, passed, then came the sorry, you haven't been a member of the Labour Party for one year. Mm. So we're going to have to use our discretion. So they did use their discretion and allowed me to go forward. Um, then I had to draft a speech. I was actually traveling to America. So the speech had to be read out for me. And I found out on holiday that I had been selected by the Labour Party 
um, to run in the local elections, which would have been 2018. So then it was like, go, 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 go from there. We campaigned for two years. Um, that was, and then obviously we had the, what's it called? We had the general election as well mm. and during that time as well. So it was campaigning for that, but then also, you know, preparing ourselves for the local elections. And when I would door knock, Havering's a very interesting place. The seat that I was planning to um, get elected in currently had two Labour councillors and then one who was a UKIP member or a resident. Sorry, I forget now. Resident, I think he was. What's um, the difference? UKIP, so residence is usually set up by the community. So it's a resident group. UKIP is like, you know, Labour Party. Party. But yeah. yeah, so you can have resident. We have a big residence association in Havering. So there's quite a lot of residents group who don't want to be associated with any of the traditional political I parties. See. Um, he had been there for, I think, about 10 years. Okay. So here's this new black <laughs> girl, you know, <laughs> yeah. from nowhere, hasn't mm. studied politics, you know, hasn't gone to Oxford or Cambridge, just come out of nowhere. And it ruffled some feathers. Some members in the party didn't think I should have been selected. Um, others, I lived in Goucher's ward, so not Heaton ward where I was actually standing. So then again, it was irritating to some of those people. So it was a bit of proving myself. Um, and I think I proved myself from the very day that they enabled me to stand in that position. Um, so during the campaigning phase, even when I would knock on members' doors or people's doors, because we get kind of like a list and you can see who's a Labour supporter, non-Labour, etc. So when I would knock on certain people's doors, straight away, laugh in my face, you, I had racism from the very get-go. And I had a woman, her name was Rosina Pennell, and she told me, actually, you'd face racism, ageism and sexism. And I did throughout the whole time. Um, but it didn't deter me because I was really excited because when I would knock on someone's door who wasn't politically engaged, who felt like the Labour Party didn't listen to them, it just excited me to know that I could come in and support and make some change despite anything. So, yeah, that's what kept me going, really. But it sounds like it was tough, though. And you mentioned that you was always like one of one of the one or two in school. Where yeah. So I was always like your experience and then stepping out into the world of politics. And like, again, it was similar, maybe slightly different because there's also the age aspect and sexism aspect and that kind of thing. But yeah. again, it's, you're still one of the only one of people that look like you and come from a background like you. And then you're facing that level of backlash as well. And I know it sounds like you had some support behind you as well, which probably helps. But what do you think? kept you going because that sounds like it could be incredibly tough to be getting doors in your face and laughed at and I, I saw some stuff in the media which we can get into as well we can get into that because yeah. of your outfits and all sorts of stuff yes like. you can you can get into the outfit um what kept me going I've always been a strong individual growing up in Havering like I said it was predominantly white so going to schools which are predominantly white you're gonna have people not understand who you are like you said when your brother went to when we were talking earlier and you said your brother went to Cornwall and some people because they haven't interacted with a black person they don't know how to engage what to expect they can only perceive certain things based on what they've seen on social media and the news outlets right so growing up early 2000s in you know havering um being called monkey Maltesers I'd come home cry my mum would my mum's a very tough woman she doesn't take crying right there's a problem get up so my mum she doesn't allow, yeah, get up, go back, be stronger, call them pink. <laughs> <laughs> call them pink, you know, like if they call you Maltesers, call them pink. So I didn't call anyone pink, by the way. <laughs> but um, yeah, my mum just didn't allow me. So I was very tough. And because I, although I grew up in a predominantly white area, I had cousins in Southeast, et cetera, East London, like 
various places, um, particularly in southeast um, in Peckham. That's where a lot of the time we would spend summer period, Christmas with my family members. Um, and I think what made me so tough was being around them. So it was kind of like I would go and be the only black person there, but I'd come to, you know, Peckham and I'm with family and I feel, you know, as part of the community. So it was like I could understand what privilege I had, but what difference I had from very young age. And I knew how to adapt. Um, and then what made me tough, I think, to deal with the racism is when you're speaking to your cousins who live in predominantly um, a community where there's diverse, they're not dealing with some of the issues you're dealing with. I'm not talking about when we get older now and you're having to deal with some of the, you know, hidden mm. racism. I'm talking about the direct racism that I face when yeah. I would be young. They wasn't getting on the bus and someone was chanting monkey, you know, <laughs> mm. or calling them the N-word. They weren't dealing with that. So I understood I had to be tough. And my mum also instilled that in me. And I went through quite a lot growing up, um, having to lose my cousin. Um, that made me tough. That like coming to school, I remember it was 2007. My cousin was shot dead in Peckham. I came into school and nobody knew about what was happening, you know, with knife crime and gun crime back then. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I was in a total different world. Like I've just found out my cousin's died. I've come into school and everybody else is with their LV bags running around, like life is fine for them. That's when I 100% knew, you know what, this is, I don't know what it was. It was just like, you're in, there's different worlds and realities to different people. So I think it, when I got into politics, I was used to dealing with certain things, challenges and having to just overcome them because certain groups would not understand. And I was used to dealing with racism or not being part of the groups or cliques or whatever it is. So it didn't really concern me if people didn't like me in politics or certain residents didn't, I couldn't win them over. And also yeah. I'm, I've got a lot of religion, like I'm, faith is my biggest thing and reading the bible it just teaches me how to maneuver certain situations i'm, I'm hearing a lot of um, identity within that That's yeah get from that so the, um, the faith aspect is that you okay i know who i am i know where i come from etc and yeah. because of that you can't tell me this or you can't tell me that um, this isn't going to affect me maybe the way it might affect somebody else That's correct. then also with the family aspect as well like you've got that strong family unit so whilst yeah. you're in Essex and growing up around all that nonsense growing up you're spending a lot of time coming back to London and then being entrenched so yeah. you've got that that family value cultural value all that kind of stuff and I think yeah. all of that helps a lot because it helps us that it's that you're not by yourself you kind of develop that sense of self-identity yeah. and it makes it a lot easier to deal with the stuff that you're going through mm -hmm. um, in Essex growing up. Uh, something else I wanted to touch on as well is you, before you got into maybe just world of politics and that kind of thing, you got kicked out of school or suspended from school, I should say. Yeah. Quite a few times. Yes. And from college as well. Yeah. Which is interesting. <laughs> it is. No one would have thought I would be here right yeah, now. Yeah, oh, yeah. God. Which is why people always deserve chances. Second, you never know, man. People yeah, turn their lives around. Like, yeah. What, what was the first exclusion suspension about? And oh yeah, what, what was, was happening at the time? You know what? I went to school in Brentwood. Um, my school was called Soys Hall. It's shut down now. I mean, probably reasons why, because it had gone through Ofsted, rebranded. Sounds like my old school. Yeah. They even brought someone in as a head teacher from America. Like it just, it just wasn't working. Yeah. Um, would I say my educational establishment let me down? most likely yes especially being like I said I was only one or two like within my year group of who was black so 
there was little things that I picked up and I think my mum picked up on. Um, why was I suspended? I was just a very colourful child. And I think sometimes people don't really know how to deal with colourful children. Straight away, they just brand you as, especially if you're black. And like I said, I went to school in Brentwood. <laughs> you can imagine what it was like. Yeah. I think they just saw me, someone who likes to talk, someone who's opinionated, someone who is just vibrant, has a lot of energy. And some people just, oh, it just irritates them. They want to dim it. And that, I think, just made me just want to outburst. Um, and I think because of how my parents were, my mum's such a loving person. She could just see something about me. I don't know what it was. She could always see it. So I think for her, it was like she always understood she just didn't like when I lied. <laughs> yeah. like, why are you lying? Yeah. But um, what was I suspended for? First of all, I think I was suspended for, they apparently said I orchestrated a whole water fight in the school. Like it was a massive big water fight. And I remember like they grabbed only me, despite like everybody being involved in that water fight. They grabbed me only. And then they were like dragging me into the offices and I just got so angry and irritated and I was the only one who got suspended. And my mum's a very smart woman. She would always come and be like, so why is it my daughter that's being suspended? But yet every single person who was there, <laughs> none of them were suspended. So my daughter's the only mastermind between, <laughs> that can orchestrate everything and nobody else is involved. You know, as you grow older, you just look at it and think, come on, I was being targeted. Yeah. What, what, what was their rebuttal? What did they say to that? Nothing. I was always just put in isolation and I was always suspended for one to two days. Um, other time I remember a guy had gone into my bag and then he pulled out the deodorant and you know, when they spray it on you yeah. and he sprayed it on me and I just flipped, I went crazy. Mm. I got suspended for that. I was a bit of a fighter. I'm a tough cookie. So mm. yeah, I got suspended for fighting. If someone attacked me, I would, yeah. So that was mainly it. Then college, some girls had started on my friend and then I jumped in. I don't like bullies. I don't like people mm. attacking people. And yeah, I jumped in. And the worst thing it was, because it was like, my mum had tried so hard for me in secondary school. Thank God I got my GCSEs, which nobody expected me to get. But were you academic in school? No, I was creative. Okay. I did history, drama, creative media in college and performing arts. Um, in secondary school, I got 11 A stars to see. I did well in business. I did well in history. I mean, kind of probably says why I got into politics. I did well in <laughs> drama as well. So yeah, it's interesting because I'm just reflecting now. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, I got to college. I wanted to study law, but my mum said no. She told me to go and do performing arts and creative media. Oh, what? Yeah, that's, my mum really can see. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah, my mum can yeah. always see. I wanted to study law. Yeah. And my mum was like, no. Usually, usually it's the other way around. When I come, yeah. Right. You my know? family was definitely the other way around. Right, right. Yeah. So when I got suspended in college... It was like my mom, she didn't tell my dad either because my dad would have sent me to Nigeria. And my mom just was so disappointed in me. And then it just changed me, just changed me. And then I became student of the year. It was just weird. It was just like a battle. I don't know. Well, what, what was it about that last time? What changed? I remember that I came in and then the guy who suspended me, he gave me the um, letter and he said, you have to tell your parents. <laughs> whereas before, <laughs> whereas before they would call my mum, you know, and my mum was like, they always leave me voicemail because my mum's always at work. <laughs> like, oh my God, she probably doesn't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so this time they gave me the letter and they said, I had to go and tell my mum. So I remember I got on the bus, I went to Haven Six Form, I was sitting on the bus with this letter and I was like, oh my gosh. I'm an adult now, <laughs> but I have to tell them, like, you know, and if I get kicked out of college, 
chances of getting into to university come on. So I don't know. It just made me. I don't know. I just yeah. changed. Yeah. I didn't change, change because I'm still strong willed and opinionated, but I just changed in the sense I didn't want to be attacked all the time or I didn't want to be misunderstood. So I was going to try my hardest to be the best I possibly can. So I just started working, um, focusing on college. And yeah, it was the yeah. change. Yeah, yeah. I see. And then you went to university and studied your broadcast journalism. Yes, I did. And then went into politics so actually broadcast journalism did some internships in pr worked for a charity doing pr went to nigeria to do journalism thought i was going to be a journalist got into public relations it was a random one financial pr like yeah. <laughs> blockchain early days it was just random stuff um writing press releases for brokers i really don't know how i ended up there <laughs> and then i went to metro bank which i loved um, was doing regional public relations for them. And then I got into politics. In the politics. So you described yourself as a colourful person. Yes. So you used to bring your, I, I mean, I suppose you used to bring yourself to your political work. Like you dress how you dress, you know, yeah. do your fashion, you know, do your thing in it. Yeah. Um, and then you face some backlash. Yeah. For the, was it the campaign poster. Yeah. What's interesting, actually, because I saw the campaign poster, <laughs> I was looking at your LinkedIn, your banner is you in that same outfit. Oh, 100%. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's like, what do you want me to do? Like, now it's like, cool, everybody, you're, you're owning it now. It's like, cool. <laughs> this right. is me. Right. But for people that don't know what that is, actually, could you explain what happened, actually? Yeah, I can. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I was a councillor, and then I was working in Parliament for an MP, Meg Hillier. Absolutely love that woman. Um, and then the snap election came. So it was uh, 2019. I had been chosen by the Labour Party to stand as the parliamentary candidate for Hornchurch and Art Minister CLP. I was so thankful, absolutely. But the reason why the announcement for my constituency, it was because it wasn't a safe seat. So they don't really prioritise it. Therefore, it was done very, very quickly. So when I had got into place, it was like, okay, we need to do an announcement. We need to just get leaflets, pictures and everything. Like everything needs to be sorted. So I was like, okay, that's fine. Um, had the announcement, which you would have seen that picture on my LinkedIn. That's Meg Hillier, who I just adore that woman because she saw something in me. She is a safe MP, as they would class it. And she is the chair of the Public Accounts Committee, very high position. And she decided to come all the way to Havering, <laughs> non safety <laughs> and support me. Um, so yeah, I was wearing this red little jumpsuit that day because it was the announcement, you know, meeting. Like it was just to announce it to the um, RCLP. I had the meeting, there was pictures done. And then we had a leaflet. Now, what people need to understand, there are people around me who are supporting me. It's not it's not just yourself as a candidate. There are people mm. around you who are your advisors, who are your secretary, who are supporting you, right? So when the leaflet was done, it gets authorised by the Labour Party. So it, you have to get everything authorised by the Labour Party. It was signed off, right? I don't get to just pick and say, I want mm. this because I look pretty. No, <laughs> there's mm. processes and procedures. Like think if you're working in a corporate industry, right? Yeah. If you were to post, if they were doing thought leadership, right? It has to go through a go, team. Yeah. It's the same in the Labour Party. I didn't just get to decide I wanted this. So it got authorised, it got produced and sent out. Understand, I'm not going to blame my age or anything. Do I think it was the most appropriate picture? 
Yeah, I do actually. I'm not going to say no. I do think it was appropriate <laughs> picture. I do not care what anybody tells me because I was the one who was involved in politics. I was the one who was doing politics. And i that's me. And I've seen some other non-black people who have run or done everything wear other supposedly questionable clothes to people that would be questionable to people, but yet they're not, they wasn't, you know, attacked like I was. So anyway, um, I remember the first time when someone had said the picture was a problem was I got a call from a resident well, after we had posted the leaflet. And it was actually a young person. And he said, you know, in Havering, we're quite conservative, you know, so like, I'm just a bit worried about your picture. And I just thought to myself, this is the first time I'm hearing this throughout the whole campaign. Moreover, like, look at my whole history of what I've done since I've been in politics, you know? Mm. Got people housing, stopped development being done, you know, advocated for young people, um, advocated for people affected in life crime, done so much, look at my history, but yet you want to come to speak to me about a picture. So that was the first interaction. Mm. Then I remember I went on Twitter and I found loads and loads of people just attacking me about it. So I decided to do a picture outside of my mum's house with the... Mm. Um, my like we had a massive like banner of it and say this is what a politician looks like <laughs> and then it went viral and then the stylist and other newspaper outlets contacted me and yeah it caused an uproar did you uh how did you do was the backlash massive it was like the backlash for that picture was so massive to the point that but i was used to dealing with a lot of backlash in politics, not to do with my appearance, mainly to do with like, obviously, you know, the, the norm that you'd get, oh, you didn't vote on this telly, oh, you didn't stand up for this. Mm-hmm. I'd never had anything at that point regarding my appearance. And the worst part of that backlash was the black women that attacked me. And wow. I can say that now. The black women that were tweeting me on social media and saying, didn't she get the memo? Doesn't she understand how to dress? I'm so confused. I have not seen you in parliament with me. I was working in parliament at that time for two MPs, or no, one at that point. I did the second one in 2020. I had never seen you in Parliament. I did not see you in the town hall. I did not see you at the Labour Party conference. I haven't seen you, but yet you are coming to tell me how I should present myself in a room that you're not in. I was, that was the bit that hurt me. It wasn't the trolls. I can deal with a troll. Someone behind a fake account, yeah. I've been bullied when I was younger. doesn't concern me. But from black women who I'm standing here in my early 20s, putting my neck on the line for our community and my community is attacking me. That's one thing I, I, I took me a long time to... Absolutely wild. There's a lot yeah. of stuff, a lot of stuff when I, I talk to my missus about it all the time, where yeah. like, I might see some things in the media or on social media or whatnot. And yeah. if it's another black man or black woman, even if I don't agree with it, there's no way I'm going to publicly come out and start attacking them. If anything, I'll you know, take you to the side, like, let's chat yeah. one-to-one. In public, I'm not going to do that, man. That's wild, man. Very, very crazy. And I was asking about whether it was massive backlash because obviously you've, throughout your life, you've been used to facing some like, backlash maybe in school or yeah. whatnot what, and racism when you're growing up and that kind of thing. But that's more on an individual basis. Whereas this one is like now it's all over. You log onto the internet and then you're just seeing all sorts of stuff about you and maybe it hits a bit different. I mean, you know you're going to experience backlash when you get into politics. But I kind of just thought it's a bit silly backlash, really and truly. I know what I'm doing for my community, how I benefit my community. You're so pressed about what I'm wearing. And there was actually another MP, a white woman, um, something similar happened to her. She was a parliament, I can't remember her name, but the same thing happened to her. And then it then brought out this kind of like 
conversation around why is it that women are attacked so much? So removing the colour aside of it, why are women so attacked about how they dress? You know, people like to, it, it's as if as women, we can't win. If we're not wearing makeup, we're we're boring, we're plain. If we're wearing makeup, oh, we're too, you know, Barbie, glamorous, et cetera. Oh, she's not wise, or smart. If we're dressed a certain way, oh, she's dressed inappropriate. If we cover ourselves up, oh, she's, we can never win. So I just started to say, you know, I'm just going to be myself because I know the work I'm doing, the fruit that I'm producing is good. So I'm not going to allow people who are not even in the room to bother me. So the backlash to me wasn't really backlash. Plus, if you've seen most politicians, they've had a few backlash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was, it was, I'd rather that than doing something mm. corrupt and fraudulent. <laughs> That's easy. I'll take that one. Yeah. <laughs> like how I'm dressed. Okay, mm. it's fine. Uh, did you get support from the party yourself? Did I get support from the party myself? The regional or local? There's a difference. Um, whoever, whoever it was that okayed the post in the first place. Yes, I did. I did okay. definitely say at a local level, I did. I didn't hear anything from region, no. But local level, I heard, like, people just came out and supported me because they know who I am. You know, they've mm. been on this journey with me since 2016 to 2019 now. We're talking, this was when I was campaigning. Like, they know who I was. So they just, yeah. And if mm. I was supposedly, this backlash was such a big concern... I would have lost my seat. They would have told me to step down, you know? So I had yeah. support. I had people who were there. My mum was there. My mum would never let me do anything unless it's right. She's a very wise woman. So mm. even that picture, like my spirit just moved me to just do it. I remember I stood mm. outside my house and I just put it up and it was like yeah, my response. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody just was like, it just shut everything down. It was like I spoke and everything just shut down. Or I could have allowed that to impact my mental health. And stop me, you know, I could have gone into hiding. I'm not that type of person. I don't go into hiding. What did you learn about yourself during that political period? I didn't learn anything. I learned everything after politics. Okay. What did you learn after politics? My strength, my courage, my heart, my tenacity, I'm fearless, my faith, and that God was with me all the time. Like, I can't explain it. There's so many things that I had done in politics from Haven Racism, which you spoke about, um, from supporting the whistleblowers when they came out against the council, um, helping people who were going through domestic violence, just so many things I had done that I come out of politics, I'm like, how did I do that? You know, wow, me, you would, you see me and you're like, this one, her, you know, you just wouldn't think she could do half those things. So I think coming out of politics, that's the things that I had learned. So it's sort of like, retrospectively, you come out of it and then you look back and you'd be like, okay, well, I've gone through X, Y, Z and then this is what I've learned about myself. Yeah. I see. Um, with the politics, so um, was there a particular situation or something or maybe over a period of time you just felt yourself, okay, now I feel like I've done my work here, I need to move on or was it down to something? Like, why the transition? Why the transition from politics? I personally feel like I was... Too young mm. at the time. And I wanted to kind of explore other career and professions for myself. Because you got me, I got elected at 22, you know? Mm. There's so much more in life. And I can always go back into politics. There wasn't like a big drastic thing that said, I cannot stand this. But what did disappoint me, I think what I started to see in the Labour Party was the language used to describe some of us. It's not every day we are an immigrant's daughter, et cetera. We're more than that. The other aspect for me was we can't say we're a party of equality. We can't stand, say we're a party that likes to help society, but yet the representation is poor. 
in terms of people who are MPs that looked mm. like me. And the other aspect for me was God called me to do something else. Um, and it was a ba- it was a tough battle. Even people in the Labour Party were like, are you sure you want to leave? Like, are you sure? <laughs> are you serious? Yeah. No, tell you seriously. But I had mentored a young girl. Her name's Frankie. She's currently elected in my seat. Um, I had mentored her. I had got a job in Parliament. Um, she worked for Claudia Webb, my old MP. So... I could trust that she was going to lead the way. And furthermore, I don't believe that you should stay in the seat for 10, 20 years and not allow somebody else to come through. But yeah, I think after George Floyd and Haven racism, um, which was a lot, that was two years of fighting the council. You know, I think it took a lot on my mental health. Fighting the council? Yes. So in, after George Floyd, I had already been appointed. So, as my political career was evolving, um, when I got elected, I was a handed or appointed a position as the um, diversity and inclusion lead in Havering. So it was for the whole borough. And I had to draft a report. And I drafted a report and it was a very honest report to say, you know, sorry, you're, there's a bit of racism and discrimination. It's very, it's very blatant. Um, I remember they some of the council officers made me take out <laughs> certain things, change some wording, and I refused. I said, no, I will change the wording, but I'm not taking it out. You wanted to police your voice. 1,000%. I've always been, my, my voice has always been silenced. So I remember the report, and coincidentally, there was not enough time for me to to discuss my report, but the report's public, it's out there. Um, that was finished, so it's a year. They actually didn't vote me to go back into that position. So, I mean, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm okay. like, yeah. I too many, yeah, too like, many truths. Yeah, I'm like, okay, that's fine. And which is very unusual. Yeah. You look at people who've had those positions as they usually stay again. So mm. I was like, fine, I'll get it. But I didn't stop what I was doing in terms of diversity and inclusion. It's part of me. Um, and then, yes, 2020 came, George Floyd. And I spoke out. I did an article. I called my council institutionally racist because they were institutionally racist. Um, And I can say that because it's actually been found. (laughs) I got a lot of backlash from the opposition, so conservatives and um, so forth. Um, They did a joint letter, actually, saying they do not believe in why am I coming out? I'm using this for votes. And I was like, yeah, I'm using this for votes, please. Um, that ain't going to get you no votes in Haven. not going to get me no votes in Haven, come on. Yeah. I got a lot of backlash. Then I went to the Black Lives Matter and that, oh my God, that caused death threats and attack on social media and all sorts. Um, but I didn't stop. Um, I was working with a council officer, former, at the time, um, and she had given me loads of information um, and then was able to produce a dossier with um, Keith Darville, who's one of my mentors, and we produced it to the council. Um, I did the campaign, obviously, through Haven Racism. Um, I'm very strategic in that sense. So I attack at, at two sides. So mm-hmm. publicly, we did our campaign. Internally, I was producing the dossier, was having the meetings. And then they did an investigation. And then they found that the council was institutionally racist. And there was casual sexism. And then everybody went quiet. Not a single sorry, Telly. Oh, you were right, Telly. Mm-hmm not a wow two years you were fighting this you know and I helped them with their action plan as well (laughs) you can see that I produced like an action plan of what I think they should be doing before I left um and I think it was just the toll on my mental health people don't really realize when you are a change maker thank you for giving me that title by the way when you are a change maker it takes a lot on you you know it, it really does 
and you're having to be strong all the time because it's people that you need to support people that you need to help um so you can't show weakness people think you can show weakness you can't once you show weakness they they come for you like lions um so yeah I think that was probably what it was it was just I knew I was too young and there's so much you need to learn if you want to enter politics to be very real there's a difference between an activist and working policy and being an elected official so I think I wanted to gain more about the world experiences career then maybe come back into politics who knows um so yeah there was no big drastic thing that happened it was just God called me um my mental health and I feel like I wanted to explore other avenues when you talk uh, you made uh, quite a key point there you talk about the having to be strong in pu- in public otherwise they're going to tear you down anyways if you display any form of weakness yeah did you have any that uh, in your private time or space or do you have people around you where you could show that vulnerability and weakness no. how, do, how do you do that no i didn't trust anybody so sorry when i was in politics mm-hmm. there was not a single person in terms of i had loads of people around me that was absolutely i, I value mentorship and guidance but in terms of like my personal friends who were outside of the political camp, um, no, I couldn't really be vulnerable. It was like my vulnerable. Anytime I was being vulnerable, it was it was being used. Um, it was being used in. I'd go out. People would make you know comments about myself. It felt as if because I was this politician, I couldn't hang around and be in certain spaces. I just didn't feel like I fit in, and I've always had that my whole life. I don't feel, like people feel like I don't fit in, and then I can see little attacks the comments they would make about me you know little things um so now like I cut myself off from being really vulnerable and some people will call it cold or being secretive but it was just like I don't really see why I have to keep on explaining problems or situations I'm going through when you're not in this space with me um was that the right thing or maybe I just didn't have the right people around me so yeah but I've learned now to be more vulnerable and actually my nature I'm quite a public person on social media so I'm very bubbly so naturally you feel like you'll know me but you don't actually because I the way I I am I'm just a warm that's my aura so sometimes I think people if I did come with problems or struggles they just couldn't see it like they just was like you really like you know um and because I was so open on social media I don't think sometimes people really invested in knowing the real me most times yeah you said there's a difference between an activist elected politician and I can't remember the third one, a politician, something like that. Anyway, yeah. there's, there's difference between the three of those. Mm-hmm. And do you see yourself now? So you've stepped into the world of entrepreneurship with Couture and all of that. Do you see yourself as that, as you, although it's an entre- entrepreneurial venture, do you see that as you stepping into that activism type space role? Um, in entrepreneurship, I think everything... So I was reading a book and it, it's about basically your pa- your purpose, your power and your vision. And I personally mm. think that everything I went through was like preoccupation for my occupation. <laughs> yeah. Because in entrepreneurship, right, it's very tough. Business is tough. I've been in politics. I've seen a lot, right? I've gone through <laughs> a lot. So I'm ready for the business and all the different characters and the the, the kind of the sh- scheming, the strategy behind the business. And, you know, I'm, I'm used to seeing all of that in politics. So it's no different to what I've seen in the ecosystem that I've just kind of entered in. Um, and then the other aspect in terms of activism I think every one of us has to be an activist in a way. The difference between an activist and a politician is activists, they're key players in pushing and, you know, kind of getting 
policymakers, politicians to really see what they're saying. Now, a politician has to look at other factors. We've got to look at data. We have to look at, okay, what does this mean for this person? We have to look at, okay, is it now or is it the future? There's many more things that we look at. And sometimes we can't always go down the route the activists want us to do at that point in time because we're in the rooms and we're seeing what the games are being played so yeah i think that's a bit of a difference and the policy person they're people that sometimes don't really get to see the experience the lived experience and they're just pulling from this is what this report says this is what this report says Mm. and it takes us politicians to look at okay this is what the activists are saying and this is what um the data is showing us and the report that has been produced by you know the policy person whether it's a council officer or civil servant and me as the elected official what is the breath the best thing for me to do right now so it's a bit of the difference there. Um, and not all politicians have the public's interest. I'll put that very blank. Not all of them have the public's interest at heart. Not all of them do. Some of them are there because I want to be a politician, public figure. Some of them really do care. And I've worked for MPs who really, really do care, like really care. Um, so, yeah, I'd say that's the difference. Um, but I think, am I an activist in the entrepreneur space? Naturally, I'm a spoke out person. So if I see data, and I think you had, um, I was listening to one of the um, podcast, Tom, and he was talking, you were oh, both yeah. speaking about the lack of ethnic minorities um, receiving VC funding over 10 years. Um, one woman, one black woman. One woman. And Between I think 2009 eight, to 2019. Right. And he said yeah. like eight roughly. With um, smaller over, ticket. Right. Yeah. It's the same type of thing we see in most industries, the same type of thing I saw in politics. So, of course, I'm going to speak about it because it impacts me, you know. And how can you say that there's not talent within the United Kingdom that in 10 years you've not been able to spot the talent? It doesn't make sense. It's like it's the same thing that happens in every industry. You kind of open the door and we're like, oh, gosh, we've opened the door a little bit. Now we need to slow them down. So that's what they do. Start to slow you down, slow you down, slow you down, slow you down. I think it's it's very easy to say and say we're going to do this, we're going to do that. But then when you need to cut a check and do something tangible, that's when you can really see whose heart is 100% in it or whether it will just lip service. 100%. 100%. And I was told, you know, you're entering the founder startup space. It's about the founding team. It's about this. Then I watched something on Netflix this week, Bitcoin. <laughs> I, everybody watch it. Bitcoin. I said, wow. And these are the people that are getting the investment, right? These are the people that are going off and utilizing the money, right? These are the people with integrity, right? Someone who just got pictures from LinkedIn and created something. These are the people. Well, where's the due diligence? Where was the assurance? <laughs> no, seriously. Where was the due diligence? Where was the even the, come on. Yeah. So I'm not a stupid person, very intelligent person. And I think all of us to have activism in us. Some of us, it is activism for our own personal need because okay, I'm going to talk about this issue because I know it will benefit me if it changes. Others, we just talk about the issue because we see it and we're like, that's not right. And you will see that throughout my whole life. When I joined Metro Bank and I spoke out because I saw Muslims speaking with it, praying, sorry, in um, the cloakroom, that's what made me set up um, Embrace. It was Employee Network, which is still running then. Same thing why I entered politics. And then I did Haven Racism. I did everything I wanted to do in politics. I didn't have to do that. I didn't really, I could have been an ID for partying with my friends. I could have been, you know, flying away and doing all sorts. But I stood there fighting for others. Come out of politics. I'm still doing the same thing. <laughs> it's part of me. I can't, well, whatever I do, it's just going to be part of me. So, yeah. What's the goal of Couture? 
And and what is Couture actually? Well, it's Couture Paradise, yeah. my baby. So it yeah. started back in 2020. I went to Ghana, couldn't find a white dress. It was supposed to be this party. <laughs> I had to wear silver. <laughs> so then I came home, spoke to two of my friends, and initially it was a brand, e-commerce brand. We actually wanted to have a physical boutique. Um, then pandemic hit. So then I built our website on Shopify and then no one really told me that it would be so slow. So I went on to the Soho House, Soho House program, sorry. And then it changed into basically now a platform that will host African designers and connect them to their customers. But I'm talking about your designers who are in the mid market. So not ones that are focusing on high fashion luxury or fast fashion, the ones that are like up and coming and kind of want to get their name out there, but mm. there's not a platform for them. The biggest thing for me is utilizing artificial intelligence to connect the designers and customers. But the logistics side is what's so important to me, making sure that designers' clothes can get to their customers. And I mean their local community. I'm not talking about Western or global. I'm talking about the local community, their local customers. So we're really looking at kind of electrical vehicles to get the items to their customers so that's a big thing for me and it's about working with designers that are under 30 as well not my specific mm. it's not a criteria but i want to help the young and emerging talent to give them that platform to be seen so yeah that's what i'm building um it's been an exciting time new team loads of changes loads of challenges yeah. <laughs> but what's, what's the goal of it what are you looking the to achieve the biggest thing for me to achieve is i want kp to be across africa um, the other aspect for me is to make sure that designers are spotlighted. You're seeing that talent, our culture, our designs are appropriated, but we're not giving the recognition. I'm tired of that. Mm. So I really want a platform where you can see these designer stories, their struggles. Why did they create this piece? So I don't just want it to be, we sell their products. I want each of those designers to have a profile so that you can see their stories. You know who they are. You become their fan base. That's what I want. That's what it mm. Uh, yeah. yeah, and increase our market share in the long term yeah. because when you look at the market share of the sub-Saharan African fashion industry in the global scheme of it, it's less than 1%. That's embarrassing. I'm so sorry. Wow. Yeah. I, I didn't realise it was that low, but it makes sense because I don't necessarily see African designers. No. But I don't, don't, can't think of any off the top of my head that no. I like. Not not talking African designers that are Western-born. I mean, that are still back home and then sending overseas. I can't think of any off the top of my head. Actually. Right. There's such household names, right? Orange Control, etc. There's so many people, but yet if you're not in the scene, you don't really know about that. And I don't, I want to change that. You can be out of the scene and you should know about them. And I feel like it, for me, when I try to explain it to people, it's a bit like ASOS and Uber combined. Yeah. But I won't go into the artificial intelligence because that's my secret <laughs> source. But cool. that's literally what it will be for Africa. That's it. It will be for yeah. Africa. And that's what I want. I know people keep saying to me, oh, it can go global. I have ideas to make sure that the global pay attention to it. But naturally, I want this business to be, and where I want to start first is Nigeria. That's why I was in Nigeria in December. Yeah. yeah. You speak about the challenges. So yeah. a couple of things you mentioned there. One, that is, it took long. It's been taking longer than probably what you expected. Mm -hmm. Two, team. You've had to change the team around. Yeah. What's that? What challenges? What would you say has been like? Maybe one or two of the main challenges that you've faced so far, and how have you overcome, or are you overcoming those? Um, trusting people in business. People will let you down. People are very beautiful people, but <laughs> they have a side of them. People will let you down. And I start. I had to learn that it wasn't that they might have been letting me down, but they might be going through things, you know? Um, but the way you can, I think, articulate to someone that you're going through something, it can help with the way the transition may be in not working with each other, you know? There's a difference. Your character speaks, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, definitely the people in the team. I had challenges. I was working with two best friends, literally. I would say these were the 
people I class as family. People will say you, sh- you shouldn't do business with friends. I disagree. You can because mm-hmm. we created really great work in the two yeah. years. Um, then after the, I got accepted onto the Soho House program. I actually had told my business partner to do it, but fear and her own challenges stopped her from doing it. Yeah. So I went ahead and did it. I even then asked the Soho House whether I could have the two of them at the showcase because I'm that nice of a person. Don't be a people pleaser <laughs> in, in business. Like you have to be tough. Um, I even said they can come and do it with me. Like the showcase at the end, both of them kind of were like, no, not really wanting to do it. Da, 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 da. So I don't really understand. After the showcase finished, I said, let's have a meeting because the both of them wanted to have a break. So this was mm. from October 2022 to February 2023, I was on the programme. So did the showcase. I now had a meeting. I, I sent them like four kind of like ways we can go about this, you know, mm. in terms of the business relationship, the business now, now that I've drafted this business plan, I had this idea, it's changed a little bit. Not too much, but it changed, you know, from what we had created in 2020. Yeah. Um, Came onto that call and the both of them were like, we don't want to carry on. One of them said, you've done a business plan, it's too much. I was thinking, I've done a business plan, it's too much. <laughs> Lord, yeah. I thought it would be a good thing that I've done a business plan. <laughs> and I did not ask them to leave. And I'm a person of, my mum's always taught me, like, you treat everybody good. I think sometimes that's a bit of a problem for us black people because we'll continue to get abused from people, but we'll just keep on being good, 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 nice, 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 especially yeah. if you're Christian, sorry. Um, when I say some black people, if you're religious, you know, mm. how we're taught sometimes as well to be humble. Hey, yeah. yeah. So um, I said to them, do you know what? Appreciate you don't want to carry on. That's fine. But I'm going to make sure you get your return of investment. So everything that you invested, I'll make sure it's in our contract that when KP actually makes revenue, even if it comes out of my own pocket, I'll return it to you because I don't believe the work that you've done should be di- like discredited. But that's fine if you don't want to carry on with me. Don't know really what the reasons were. Um, and then I got a whole new team. How did you build a new team? I'm a networker. I <laughs> I, can, I know a lot of people. I know a lot of people. I've met a lot of people. Um, and I think Tom said it about, you know, not really fitting into a scene, but there's a network you've created over time. I've created a strong network. Yeah. I can call on anyone for anything, literally. So I was in my current workplace, um, well, former workplace, and I just spoke to people about the idea and they loved it. Some people believed in me. Some people had looked at my track record, seen that I can create things, long-lasting things. Mm. So, yeah. And since then, we've just been soaring, 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 soaring. By God's grace, thank you. Glory <laughs> 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 of God. <laughs> but, yeah, that's how I got my new team, speaking to people, um, telling people your idea. I think we're sometimes scared to tell people our idea or someone's going to steal it or this and that. But understand, the idea came from you. The vision came from you. There's something about you. And the idea is always going to change from what it was. Let's be real. Nothing actually stays the same over time. So yeah, even if you tell someone your idea and they go off and do something else, no one's you. And furthermore, you can probably sit down and look at the trends, look at data, and you could probably change your idea and it would still be (laughs) timely. So yeah, I'm never concerned to tell people what I'm planning to do, what I'm thinking to do. Um, And yeah, they just brought them on with the vision. If you could go back and talk to your younger self... The one, the one I was in school that was going through all that stuff you was going through and getting suspended and all that kind of stuff. What would you tell yourself? Keep going. I know we always say this, but keep going. You are going to hit a glass ceiling, sorry, but just keep going because somebody will see your light. Someone will see your talent. And what people say about you, most of the time they're projecting, you are who you are, who God has designed you to be. Just be that person and let everything flow through. 
perfect. And before we wrap up, have you got any final words um, that you'd like to share with us? This was a really great interview. <laughs> I love it. It's like, you know, just sitting here and speaking to you. It just feels so you. comfortable Thank and you. natural. And I'm just really glad you're doing this because Appreciate it. I feel we don't get to see, like you said, certain black British people um, platformed. And I'm just really happy that you're doing this and you're showing different stories so thank you thank you thank you for coming down really appreciate it man no thank yeah. you for the time really good man enjoyed that as well <laughs> thank you that was scary okay yeah no that was good that was good and that's that that was 1000 voices we are telling a while on the podcast so for now people we're out cool wow yeah, thank you thank you that was great that was so good oh